I'm only gonna tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. My friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Hit it. Trink, trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink, trink. And your people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, coming to you live from the closet in an apartment that I'm borrowing. (laughs) This is such a throwback for us. Back when we used to record a lot on the road. Yeah. What what were the ways we would do that? I know closet is very popular because, uh, you know, the best ones have clothes inside, and that's a nice dampening material for the echo you got a door behind you yeah it gets hot that's one of the downsides this closet does not have a lot of clothes in it because yeah i'm borrowing an apartment that some family friends have not moved into yet so there's like oh weird very little furniture and a a basically empty closet so i I like went and pulled all the pillows off the bed and and filled the the shelves with pillows to, to help deaden the space Pillow baffle is a good strategy. Yeah, that's that's good. That's one of the reasons hotels don't make very good studios in their closets because of the lack of yeah. baffling material in there. That's no good. And often hotels get like, you know, like the air conditioning will kick on at like a totally unpredictable time and like the, you know, some like traveling field hockey team will be slamming the doors in the hallways. Every hotel door is built like a bank safe yeah. vault and yeah, I think and they have slams like so hard. 17 hour burn ratings. How many injuries do you think there are a year of like fingers just being clipped in half like so many hot dogs <laughs> due to the weight of a hotel room door? God. Hey, you know, it's the first episode of season two of Strange New Worlds. Always a big episode for us when uh, when Strange New Worlds is starting. Lots of new yeah. listeners. And uh, today we're talking about clipping your fingers in half like a hot dog in a hotel yeah. door. <laughs> One of the worst messes any cleaning staff has to deal with are the fingers, right? Yeah. But welcome if you are a new listener. That's cool. My metal band was called Dustpan Full of Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Deeply unpopular merchandise for that one. Yeah, it doesn't make a great tip for the the cleaning lady in your hotel room. No. I mean, if I'm going to tip 20%, I guess that's going to be two fingers, isn't it? Mm, yeah. That's a little bit more than just the tip. <laughs> the thumb doesn't count as a full finger, right? Oh, the, the thumb counts as more than a finger. The thumb is its own kind of finger. Yeah, but I, I judge on knuckles. Oh. And I think uh, the fewer knuckles really diminishes its value. <laughs> you would judge on knuck. Well, Ben, I know how hot an improvised studio environment can be. One of my least favorite ones is like the under the duvet cover. Yeah, yeah, I've got the, the heat of that is brutal. You have it a little bit better. I've got I've got the duvet here you, behind me. You're seeing the blanket, uh, which I threw yeah. over another door. Yeah, trying to surround myself in soft surfaces so that we can talk about Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 1. It's called The Broken Circle. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. Uncertainty. We get a package catching us up on 
the events that happened last season that are most important for this specific episode. And if you're a new listener to Greatest Trek, anytime we see a package, we are going to talk about it. So yeah. we'll start talking about this one. Maybe easy for people to forget that this Enterprise crew missed the war with the Klingons completely. <laughs> yeah. Except for a couple of crew people, we learn as we go through the episode. Remember, Spock's emotions... Still a little sensitive yeah. for him. They got uncorked. Not controllable. Yeah. And some of this footage looked like it might have been from Discovery, actually, right? Because Pike is in the yeah. in the disco era uniform. Pike in blue. Yeah. 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 La'an is on a leave of absence to take care of that girl that she rescued from the Gorns. And Una is in trouble for covering up her genetic modification ancestry results. <laughs> and she's now under arrest. Yeah. And maybe the part that hurts the most is that it's Pike's girlfriend that did the arresting, right? Yeah, well, they're not really ready to call themselves boyfriend and girlfriend, or at least he isn't. <laughs> yeah. We start the episode in earnest at Starbase One, where the entrepreneur is getting fixed up and refitted. Uh, we, we learn that Commander Pelia is overseeing the work that's being done on the ship. And we also learn that the Admiralty of Starfleet are acting a bit nervous, but they're not letting Pike in on what's getting their goat. I think this is low-key one of the prettiest establishing shots in a Star Trek episode in a long, long time. We luxuriate past Starbase One, and we see the parking lot where the ships gather. Yeah. And boy, you really get a great sense of scale with the Enterprise next to that little single nacelle job parked next to it. This has got to be so <laughs> aggravating. Like, you got a great ship, and you choose your parking spot carefully. Right. And then it happens every time some fucking guy in a jalopy wants to park right next to you, even though you've given yourself, like, five spaces on either side yeah. to not get door dinged. And it's like your little single nacelle ship, so important that you had to park it over here. And you assume that nobody's going to get out on the passenger side and need to get back in later. Like, move over a little bit. You got plenty of room. Yeah. That's a compact and a full size spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. It's also too bad that Una really lacks the optimism necessary to endure like a long courtroom trial. Yeah. Because when she and Pike are having this FaceTime visit, it's clear that Pike is the one with all the optimism here. And Una is all but given up. She's thinking about resigning. But Pike seems to think that he has an in with the DA. <laughs> A DA, he admits, is not taking his calls, which, ouch. Is it the prosecutor that they're talking about? Isn't it? I, w- I thought that they were going to like try and get somebody to defend her, but it was like some special lawyer that that wasn't taking their calls. Yeah, there's a lot here that goes without specifics, right? Yeah. I think you could easily believe, like I maybe wrongly did, that that we're talking about his girlfriend, but maybe this is someone else. You know, the dialogue is very pointedly written to leave the surprise for later. And so it's hard to say just who he is going to be leaving the episode for this trip to go see. But yeah, like I, I was like, oh, maybe maybe he's uh, thinking about having Philippe Louvois take on the case. Who knows? Yeah. Is she around at this era? Good try. Nine out of ten for effort. I wish things were different. God, I don't know. I was thinking of the 
lawyer of Moog that showed up in Star Trek VI. Like, how old would he be yeah. at this time? Yeah. Probably just a clerk. Probably clerking <laughs> right now. <laughs> and also not a great lawyer because he lost... Now, I mean, he didn't lose that case. He just lost... He wanted a greater amount of punishment than what was doled out. Yeah, right. <laughs> he took umbrage with that. They're having this conversation, Pike and Una, over FaceTime, and I couldn't believe when we go to the reverse shot that Pike isn't like really putting himself in the frame. It's like talking to my parents on FaceTime, where they're like <laughs> super small and in the lower left corner. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a moment in the conversation where he gets up and like, you know, stands akimbo to make some inspiring and forceful point. And that's when he gets to to be well framed in his own shot. Come on, Pike, what are you? A boomer? <laughs> yeah. So Pike doesn't get the shore leave that the rest of the crew has. He decides to use the next three days to go out on this mission for help for Una. And this leaves Spock in command. And Spock is apprehensive, even though they aren't supposed to even leave space dock. Like, how hard can it be? This is an easy babysitting job that he seems pretty nervous about. And we all know why. It's those emotions. It's not going to be easy for him to keep uh, his emotions in check here. This is a significant moment in this episode and a curious one for me, because if you've heard Strange New Worlds is really good and maybe you're picking it up in season two, this is the last you see of Pike. This episode. I was shocked by this. The star of the show. <laughs> I thought a lot about that. Like, it has to have been a conversation between them and Anson Mount. Like, hey, what if we write you off for episode one of season two? They did this all the time with Mitch and Baywatch. <laughs> There'd be like a, hey, I'm going down to San Diego for two episodes excuse of one kind or another. And you always wonder if, it, if Hasselhoff is going off to shoot a movie or something. But yes, yeah, kind of a surprising move for episode one of season two. See you in three days. The accuracy of the comparison of <laughs> Captain Pike to Mitch Buchanan in Baywatch. More apt, I think, than most people realize. <laughs> yeah, so Spock is stressing the most about being in charge. And Mbenga is, you know, citing the classic symptoms of this and suggests playing a little bit of music to release the, the tension. Have you ever tried this, Adam? Plucking some strings? Yeah, yeah. Getting out the, your Vulcan lute and uh, just, you know, chilling out with that. Sometimes if I'm feeling stressed or I have a headache, I'll pluck the lute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It can, <laughs> it can really uh, make things feel better. Mabenga gives Spock this exam, but I think what we all should be looking at is Mabenga's hairline, which... <laughs> changes several times this episode. Oh, wow. And completely threw me off. I took <laughs> some screen grabs that I'll send you, Ben. Oh, man. But in all of the six bay scenes, his hairline is down, maybe two fingers into his forehead. And then when he leaves the ship, his forehead's back. <laughs> and I was totally distracted by that. He goes from a three head to a five head? Yeah. In one episode? Yeah. And you can tell Spock is way up in his own business about this because he doesn't say anything. Yeah. And also, maybe that's Spock being a good friend. If you notice a change in a buddy's hairline, yeah. maybe don't call attention to it right away. Yeah, they're probably sensitive about it. Or just, you know. Yeah. Maybe they aren't, but it's not polite to bring it up. 
interesting bit of trivia about Spock's emotions here is that it's not just the anger that he felt during his fight with the Gorns. It's as if like the entire structure of the emotional dam that blocks all of the spectrum of emotions has broken. So it would seem as though he's capable to feel it all in a way that he hasn't felt before. Yeah. And when he starts into the first couple notes of Stairway, <laughs> Dr. Mabenga points at the wall. <laughs> Spock is denied. <laughs> he likes to play. What would be the Stairway be toward? Like, I know if it was Klingon Stairway, it would be like Stairway to Stovacor. Yeah. What, what, what's the Vulcan afterlife? What do they call the thing in the middle of the galaxy in Star Trek V? Isn't there a name for it? That uh, Cybok is is trying to get to. Oh, you're talking about Shakari. That's the one. <laughs> Stairway to Shakari. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Stairway to something unpronounceable just doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. What do you rhyme with Shakari? I don't know. <laughs> I bet the Vulcan version is a long ass song, like regular Stairways, eight and a half minutes. Right. Vulcan version's like an entire album side. Yeah, Vulcan version gives Rampers Delight a run for its money. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? So in walks Nurse Chapel. They're just having a chill-ass conversation. Chapel walks in and Spock's heart rate spikes. And he's got to get the hell out of there. And when Mbenga sees the heart rate monitor spike, he's figured it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He knows the score. And he's a cool boss to Chapel, too, because Chapel's like, I don't want to talk about that. And Mbenga's like, all right, we're not going to talk about it, but I know. (laughs) Yeah. I know what's up. Chapel says nothing about his hairline, though. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk about it because the wall behind him is Spock's full-body medical scan readout, and she's seeing his member becoming engorged. Yeah, Vulcans (laughs) can surprise you. Excuse me. Yeah. She's seen it all. She's seen everything. Right. When Chapel tells Mbenga that she's applied for and been accepted to the study abroad thing on Vulcan, unclear to me whether or not Spock's personal study abroad coursework is related to that, right? Yeah, I, w- I was kind of surprised. I was like, are they just kind of writing everybody off the show? What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, maybe Chapel is going to go visit T-Pring. Sure. And maybe get into an interaction. That sounds like hijinks to me. <laughs> I do not like hijinks. And that we are in agreement. Back on the Enterprise Bridge, we see a bunch of the work taking place. The business... Of a starbase is happening on the bridge right now. A lot of systems being upgraded and studied. Seems like the Enterprise Bridge crew really don't trust the starbase crew to do these fixes in a trustworthy way. And I get that, but pretty hard to miss that all of the men seem pretty shitty and bad at their jobs. (laughs) And all of the women seem pretty put upon by the starbase employees' needs to just get their work done. What is this, a commercial for anything? I like the idea of like emphasizing the competence of our bridge crew because I like them and they're competent. But uh, I don't know. Is that completely necessary? Excuse me. Oh, no, you don't. So Uhura goes to Spock's quarters with some news and he's like, why didn't you just use the, the com badge on your chest to... <laughs> 
let me know this. And she explains to him that the system is down right now because they're like, you know, installing a iOS update or something. It won't be installed until Tuesday. But uh, she got a signal from a planet called Kajitar. That's from La'an. She's calling in the cavalry. She needs their help. So we smash cut right over to the ready room for Spock's conversation with Robert April. And they're discussing what to do. Spock is riding for rescue mission, even though he was apprehensive about being the captain of the ship in Starbase. <laughs> he's like, I need to take the Camaro out of here yeah. and go cruising. And Robert April explains to him and us that this is a crucial joint custody dilithium planet, and it's not their turn to do the pickup in the park. Yeah. So to just show up like that would be really bad. I was reminded of a Russian bathhouse in New York that is owned by two brothers, and the two brothers apparently hate each other. So the business is like one day, I don't know what their names are, but like it's like one day is Vasily's day and one day is Ivan's day. And like if you buy like a package of treatments on a Vasily day, it does not work on an Ivan day and vice versa. <laughs> This whole entire planet like changes hands every 30 days. It's the, it's the Federation, and then it's the Klingons. And if the Federation shows up during the 30 days, that's fucking war, man. Then local Russian bathhouse humor gets local Russian bathhouse audience, right? <laughs> I, I, I hope we get the, yeah. Like, come hit me with your weird branch, Russian bathhouse people. You know what feels like getting hit by a weird branch? Having your local Russian bathhouse play Greatest Trek. <laughs> we should go when you're in New York. Oh, uh, yeah. That that sounds wonderful. Let's do it. Let's de-stress, baby. I, I just want to do Russian stuff right now. They seem great. <laughs> we use this very same room to host a McLaughlin group with the entire bridge crew. Issue one. And not Pike, because Pike is gone. Yeah. And Spock needs the crew to get on his level. Are they down to steal the Enterprise? Are you down to do a Star Trek three? He asks. And they're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and this floods every basement in the room, yeah. including Dr. Mbenga's. Yeah, the cut around to everybody's like, I'm picking up what you're putting down and I'm really into it face was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first part of this plan that they obviously all agree to is conducted by Lieutenant Mitchell, who goes down to the warp core and uh, surreptitiously slides some wooden shoes into the works. Hence the word sabotage. Were you surprised at how easy this was <laughs> for a lieutenant? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wondered, maybe, did they do other stuff before she did this part? Like, was this for the edit, or or is it literally that easy? I feel like below a certain rank, your wooden shoes should bounce off the warp core. Like, <laughs> only the red bottom ones should get through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These expensive. These is bloody sebo. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd have the verse for that. <laughs> we get a, 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 finally get a shot of Carol Kane. She's walking down a hallway. She hears the red alert that something's wrong with the warp core. And she knows something's up immediately. She walks up to the bridge and starts kind of monologuing. And then this turns into a big 
big scene between her and Spock that I thought was great. She has this weird accent. Oh, would you look at that? There's a very like flirtatious, almost horny energy between her and Spock as she mm-hmm. unveils that she sort of was on to them from the second she heard the alert. She is like, and and also is like not tripping about hearing the textbook sign of a warp core meltdown. Like she is unafraid of warp core meltdowns in this very cool way. You do know that I teach a course in warp core breaches at the academy, yes? Her expertise and her job there as an inspector is like totally efficiently deployed in Spock's face in this scene. And it's weird, like this is a show that does not build up Spock to be the legend that he would become later. Right. It doesn't even build him up to be of a rank that would command that kind of respect sometimes. And this is one of those moments because Pelia has age and rank on him and also that that personal connection. Right. And that Pelia knows Amanda Grayson. And that combination basically sits Spock down and pushes him into that seat with the facts that she's got. She has suspected this whole thing is a fake. (laughs) And then, like, correctly assumes that someone's there to steal the ship. Correctly assumes, and also that they have a great reason to do so, because this is all happening under the command of a Vulcan, and her assumption is that a Vulcan wouldn't do this unless the reason was really good. Yeah, if a Vulcan does it, it's good to do. (laughs) Which is why I do everything Spock does. (laughs) Yeah. I'll do finger stuff with anyone. Was that Sinixon that said that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only that, like, she's down to become a part of this plan and even has notes. Yeah. She's like, hey, you know, if you vented some plasma from uh, the nacelles, it's going to make this thing look a lot more credible. And then when we cut over to Robert April's office, which is one of the great offices in science fiction ever, anywhere. What a view. What? <laughs> what a view. The view's incredible. You can see the stuff coming out of these nacelles and all over the single nacelle ship next door. Ooh. You hardly ever see it go in this direction. It's usually the door ding going at the Constitution class. Right, right. That single nacelle is definitely going to have to uh, go through the drive through car wash on its way home. Absolutely. The greatest trek is yet to come. While this is going on, Uhura identifies the accent that she's hearing from Commander Pelia. You're Lanthanite. Guilty as charged. Are you familiar with this type of alien, Adam? I'm not. And unless I have the spelling way, way, way wrong, I don't know if this is a new or pre-existing type of person. Yeah, I searched it and came up empty as well. I I was like, oh, this clearly is referencing something in Star Trek I haven't seen, and I couldn't find anything. It sounded like Lambda Knight at the end. I wrote it a couple of ways and I searched it a couple of ways and nothing, both ways. Yeah, I had the same problem. Anyways, they're uh, getting ready to go to warp and we get a big scene of Say Your Captain thing for Spock. I'm getting a little tired of Say Your Captain thing at this point in New Trek. Yeah? And I also didn't think that the, the bit with Spock saying his Captain thing really worked that well. I think especially because inside his very awkward and wordy captain thing, there are two options. I think go and now 
are perfectly fine. Yeah. And but also like I want the ship to go now sounds like something a six year old would say, not something like a, a super brainy Vulcan would say. Right. Aren't both of those used in space balls? Yeah, just pick something from Spaceballs if you're going to do a joke. <laughs> Ludicrous speed! Go! You can't go wrong with Spaceballs for science fiction comedy. <laughs> it's the sine qua non <laughs> science fiction comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'd be doing well to be compared to it, yeah. frankly. Strange New World. You want to see what Kajitar looks like? That's where we're going next. Kajitar? More like Columnar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like one of those top side, bottom side planets, right? And we've seen those a bunch in Strange New Worlds. Like, yeah. Party on top, Fellowship of the Rings at the bottom. <laughs> sort of the vibe. Yeah. And uh, it, it felt like a new kind of away mission environment for Star Trek, the way it looked when we're down on the surface. Like, we, we pan down and we're like in this drinking competition between La'an and a Klingon. And it's like a big open vista. With lots and lots of extras, it almost felt Star Warsy to me. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, Star Warsy and also Raiders of the Lost Arky. Right, because Laan really becomes Marion here in a way that made me play back the first season and be like, "Yeah, she is kind of Marion, isn't she?" <laughs> yeah, like very down for the adventure. Totally, and totally kicks ass. And she obviously wins this drinking contest against a Klingon and classic loaf. It's our first Klingon in Strange New Worlds. I was very excited to see this new Klingon. New, 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 new Klingon. <laughs> Hers is the superior drinking tolerance. Yeah. Man. When the lady sits down after the drinking game and gives her some money, is that like her winnings or is that this lady challenging her to another drinking contest? Great question. Yeah, because I'm. I was like, it's not really fair to challenge someone to a drinking contest when they just won a drinking contest. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would be a great boxer if I could box the guy after he just had a boxing match that he lost exactly. or won, whatever. Yeah, either way. <laughs> but yeah, so this is somebody who is going to be like a go-between and proposes mm -hmm. a meeting between Laon and some guy that she's trying to get in front of. We catch eyes with another some guy across the set. Uh, someone I didn't immediately recognize, but it's Dr. Mbenga with his original hairline. <laughs> and uh, he gives La'an the point to the eye gesture that we saw in the first season, which I just love. I don't know the meaning of yet, but I love it. Yeah. we were. I was just discussing this with my wife. Like, we realized that like we as a family in public should have like a, we need to get out of here hand signal. Or, you know, some way of saying, like, hey, let's go. I think there's something unsafe going on without saying that out loud. And uh, I got to propose this one. This this one's cool. It is super cool. It's cooler than what we came up with. Longtime viewers of Greatest Trek and Greatest Generation will know, though, that your wife famously does not like to leave a party, even though you guys have agreed upon the we need to leave this party signal. And are you not proposing a we need to leave the party signal for just another circumstance? This is part of the discussion we had. She was like, if we have a hand signal for there's an emergency and we need to leave right now, you're going to abuse the signal oh. to try to get out of social situations. You're going to be the boy who cried signal and <laughs> she's just going to watch you burn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a bummer. Yeah, that's 
It's fucked up. They have another McLaughlin group. Issue two. Now that they've reunited with their long-lost security chief. And she tells them about the situation on Kajitar, which is that she found the girl's parents. She reunited the girl with her parents. But when she got her to this planet, she also found this kind of criminal conspiracy getting put together between Klingons and former Federation citizens who had profited greatly during the recent war because of the skyrocketing price of dilithium. And they would like the war to kick back into high gear so that they can continue to rake in that filthy lucre. And so they're, uh, they're trying to put something together to basically put the Federation and the Klingon Empire back in each other's uh, enemies' lists. Is Syndicate like Manifesto, where there's really no good version of that? Because <laughs> as soon as Syndicate gets thrown around, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. What are the chances anything good's going to come of this? I mean, a syndicated TV show is good. I mean, it's the whole reason we're here. But right. yeah, like a syndicate as a group of people, you know, conspiring to do a thing, often and mostly very bad. What about an anarcho syndicate? That's good. Sure. Yeah. Love those. I mean, it's never worked, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a nice idea. I really love the costumes. All the away team costumes on the planet surface, I think look great. Yeah, they look awesome. They're like nice color palette with the environment, both in the like on the surface environment and in the scary cave environment later. I do feel like the details of Dr. Mbenga's jacket make it look like he performs in a goth mariachi band. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Sort of do. Uh, Yeah, La'an's got a sort of a like residency spinning records in Vegas or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of look to her. Yeah. Uh, Another detail in this scene that we learn about is that Ariana's parents are sick with ion radiation, and that's not a thing that happens from mining, but it would happen from exposure to photon torpedoes. Yeah. So a lot of people have been getting this lately because of something that's going on with with the syndicate just another knock against the syndicate. So Mbenga and Nurse Chapel are going to go provide some much-needed medical aid, and Smock and Uhura are going to participate in the investigation that La'an is doing and uh, sneak around and see if they can figure out what's afoot. What's important to know about Mbenga and Chapel working together is that they both served in the Klingon War, which makes them the rare crew people on Enterprise who did. And there are a number of scenes starting now that suggest that the doctor might not have come back fully from that war. Yeah, he's uh, very upset seeing the conditions on this planet. And he and Chapel provide some kind of medical aid to one of the girl's parents and are then promptly sort of kidnapped by armed goons that come in with this Klingon lady. And uh, it seems like the ion radiation has also affected members of the syndicate and they would like to prioritize their medical care. Klingon women of this era, a little more modest with the boob window. Right. And maybe you might be used to if, if you just get your Klingon women from watching TNG. 
Right. Yeah. And so if you're like a new listener because you're new to Strange New Worlds, like that's just a thing. Like there's not as many boob windows in this part of the timeline. Yeah. A lot of people don't like new Star Trek for that reason. That's actually the main reason that they don't like new Star Trek. (laughs) Not my Star Trek. Yeah. Due to boob windows being a thing that are missing in my day, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Would you look at that? We cut over to La'an's meeting taking place while Uhura and Spock look and listen on. And it's a classic money for phasers exchange with this Klingon. And she doesn't have the number of phasers that she promised. And more than that, they're going to be more expensive than she promised also. And it's hard not to take the Klingon side in this deal. (laughs) Like, he was expecting to roll up. Look, the legality of this situation... Very much in question. Yeah. They're both acting with some criminality. However, they both agreed to a deal with certain terms, and now he's getting screwed over. I know. I know. You, f- you feel bad for this guy. And then you take a step back and you go like this. Like, La'an has no intention of this guy actually getting to do anything with these phasers. So what's she putting up a fight for in the first place? And then I was like, oh, fuck, is the point of this that La'an is convincing this guy that she is for real dealing with him because she's fucking him over. Like nobody that was just selling him weapons to find out what he's up to would try to fuck him out of a bunch of money also. Right. Yeah, that's fair. This guy's having a bad day at work in the syndicate for sure. Yeah. But it's not his money. Like he eventually is like, okay, fine. Who cares? (laughs) He's just a spoke in the wheel. Yeah. Of this whole thing. And La'an plays antimatter grenade chicken and wins because all La'an does is win contests on this planet. She does. Turns out antimatter detonation switches don't exist. Yeah, no, definitely not a thing. She made that up to scare the Klingon. He thought it was cool as fuck, though. Yeah. Klingons love gall. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and he wants to keep doing business. Like, look, this is a disappointing amount of phasers. And... Their costs are astronomical. However, yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> he would like to do this business again and again because he needs those phasers. He really does. This is the problem with capitalism. Right. You know, like this Klingon guy needs those phasers and he's being forced to pay astronomical prices because of the scarcity of them. A scarcity that's totally inflated and made up from La'an. Right. She's basically running a Ponzi scheme, right? She takes this money, she buys more phasers. Yeah. And then she convinces other people to invest in the phasers. It's really sad. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, the whole fucking thing is a Ponzi scheme, ultimately. Yeah. You wonder why these guys, like, how much nicer did they get to live because of the money they were making during the Klingon War. I know. That they were like, I don't want to live in a post-scarcity moneyless society anymore. I want to live like a filthy capitalist. Yeah, because there's nothing that we've seen in this town that suggests that there's any nice place to stay. Right, yeah. You know, it's very much like flap tents and, (laughs) you know, booths where you can buy your, your food, like... I do sort of think that that's what, like, the richest people in society actually want, though. Like, I want to live on a yacht and everybody else lives in, like, corrugated favelas, you know? Yeah. Well, I can swim, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, anyways, um, they call up uh, the, the ship, and uh, in the transporter room, they get Chief J? Who the fuck is this? Where's Chief Kyle? Did Chief Kyle get fired for being a shitty boss? I have no idea, but Chief J, not a great chief, given that he says he lost chapel and Dr. Umbenga's signal an hour ago. <laughs> an hour ago? Really? And, and Spock is finding out now? <laughs> Spock is the captain of the ship. I think the rules on a dilithium custody planet should go like they would when you're a parent of a small child in a shopping mall. Right. As soon as you lose eyes on them, it's an emergency. All right? <laughs> you get on the, the intercom and you start asking for help. Yeah. But no, I don't think Chief J is long for this job, to be honest. Bring back Kyle. Yeah. I like Chief Kyle. I do too. No, not Chief Kyle. He's so mean. So as soon as we learn that Chapel and Mbenga are lost, we cut over to where they are. They're deep underground and they're led to a cave ship that looks suspiciously Starfleety. Yeah. The conspiracy, the syndicate are building themselves a Federation starship and Mbenga has to treat a Klingon in this scene and does not like one bit of that. It's crazy that the entire ship is built out of hand phasers <laughs> like it's actually really impressive yeah but you understand why that guy was pissed that he didn't get the two dozen that he was asking for yeah are you are you kidding me this is barely gonna build like one small corner yeah. of a compartment that's like one round duffel bag that is made of a rigid <laughs> material uh-huh maybe <laughs> We get right up in this ship. I was surprised to to get in there already. We're in at six bay. Yeah. And Dr. Mbenga's working on an injured Klingon. And if this Klingon guy thinks that he can scare Dr. Mbenga with his Klingonness, he's got another thing coming because Mbenga gets that far away, I've never come back from the war look in his eyes and starts talking about red air and stuff. Fuck. <laughs> It's so rugged. This whole scene yeah. is so rugged. He's got like- This some... is actually good Klingon bedside manner though, right? This is probably just the thing that's going to send this guy back to work feeling great. Repeatedly in this episode, humans are giving Klingons as good as they get and it makes the Klingons like them more. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of standing up to bullies here. It's weird to see a six bay that looks so much like a Civil War field hospital though. Yeah. Like- it is pretty rough and rugged inside. You sort of wonder if the people of this planet are just dedicated to the flap tent lifestyle so much that they need to build it into the inside of their spaceship. It would seem that way. Yeah. After this guy fucks off, Mbenga kind of confides in chapel that it's pretty hard for him to be around all these Klingons and for there to not be blood mist in the air like he's used to. And it's clear that... Chapel is kind of the Troutman to his Rambo here. Kind of is. The war is over, Joseph. Nothing is over! Nothing! It's a pretty amazing moment that transpires between them because they sort of, like Spock kind of puts this into explicit words later that basically they're agreeing that if they need to die to stop whatever is going on here, that's a sacrifice they're willing to make. But Unless he can get a handle on his hairline, I think Dr. Mbenga is more than willing to do that. He can't live this way. 
a way that he can live, apparently, is bringing, like, Hulk juice with him everywhere he goes. Fight Bill! Yeah. So he's got two doses of whatever this stuff is. He and Chapel inject themselves in the neck, drop their hypo sprays, and then take the syndicate to the fucking trauma center. Yeah. It's like Homer eating the McRib <laughs> when they take this green juice to the neck. Sir, are you all right? They both get absolutely jacked. And they are beating the shit out of these Klingons. And this is something that I've wanted for so long. Like, Babs Ellison McCoon's fight history is something I've been fascinated by. Like, he is a skilled martial artist. And this felt great to see him deploy his talents in this way. Yeah. And that's not to say that Nurse Chapel is any slouch. No. They both kick a lot of ass. They do. This is a big, long like multi-phase fight sequence where they beat the shit out of a bunch of humans and Klingons and they sort of fight their way out of Six Bay and onto an elevator with one Klingon and Mbenga starts like beating this guy up and, and asking him questions and getting this guy to basically spill the entire plan yeah. <laughs> to them. What's clear from what this guy says is that they could have all the green juice in the world and they will not be able to fight off the crew complement on this ship. They are numerous and they are armed. And the idea is instead to go to the transponder that's on deck 13. Yeah. At one point, Mbenga is hitting this guy repeatedly and Chapel has to like stop him, you know, stop his like rage murder from going off. So I, I guess everybody that they hit before is just unconscious and not dead. Yeah. Is what they're hoping, but yeah, she's like, I know you're mad, but don't turn into Joseph Mbengala in this moment. <laughs> Fun one. <laughs> we need to score a lot of laughs fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. 
So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. Throughout their transit through the ship, it becomes clear that the ship is waking up, right? Like engines are turning on, systems are activating. Yeah. And so forth. They get to deck 13 where this transponder is and uh, the bad guys start shooting at them, which is a real escalation. So Nurse Chapel basically has to fight a bunch more guys while Mbenga does something to modify the transponder to send a message. 
and she's kind of like running out of juice at this point. Mm -hmm. There's like a really flashy bit of camera work where they jump through like a floor plate and they do this like camera flip over into the underside of the floor Mm -hmm. and they like fall out upside down. Fucking wild. Yeah. Did you glimpse the two-handed clap of the head move? That Umbanga does <laughs> yeah. to one of the Klingons. That's awesome. That's pretty good stuff. Do you think he taught Kirk that move? Oh, yeah. Who started it? Yeah, they must have served together, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, later on, we, we've met Kirk. Yeah. Right. Fuck. Yeah, we have. Wow. Remember? Yeah. This is really bad. This is like uh, fighting in the cargo hold of an airplane, but then the airplane takes off. That's what happens on this ship. They re- they kind of retreat behind a closed airlock door, and then they look out the window. Yeah, it's like, this is great. Like, we're almost out. And then they like <laughs> see the uh, Star Trek cave receding in the, in the distance, and they're like, shit. <laughs> this has yeah. gone from exactly where we want to be to the opposite of where we want to be really quickly. As... Action-packed as things appear to be on the surface, up in space, something very exciting happens. The appearance of a Klingon D. Salon! <laughs> you just hit G8. If you like <laughs> You sold that so hard your headphones fell off. <laughs> they did. Do I need to retake it? Did they hit the mic? Anything that happened was worth happening and worth keeping it. Okay. This thing looks so great. It really does. It's very imposing. And uh, when they scan it from the entrepreneur, they're like, thank fucking God those guys don't know we're here. We're, we're hiding in the rings of this planet. Yeah. I loved how they talked about the rings of this planet. Like, like this is something we kind of like learn as we add this element to the action sequences because uh, this is a, a ringed planet. The rings are made of ice with a lot of iron content. And so the entrepreneur would show up as space junk or just part of the rings on the Klingon sensors. Yeah. And what's floating in there is is nice and red. Yeah. I love how it looks. I thought it was dilithium at first. Like I thought it might be like dilithium crystals. Crystals! That the D7 was there to pick up. But I was like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Something else. No, they need to get into the surface for that. So they pick up this fake Federation starship taking off from the planet's surface while it like lifts up into the air right behind where La'an's walking. <laughs> like if she'd been looking around for the medical staff of the Starship Enterprise a little bit over to the left, she'd be on like the, the saucer section as it went up into space. <laughs> I couldn't decide when I wanted to discuss this, but I think now is as good as any. What do you think about the absence of the Klingon music leitmotif in this episode? Because of all moments, Mm -hmm. when that ship takes off, I kind of wanted to hear like the march and the chains and like (laughs) the theme, you know? Because the ship kind of flies in a Klingon way when it takes off. It does, yeah. It flies like a bird of prey a little bit. And I like that little wink. Totally. At how it's being controlled. But man, I do miss the music. And I I wonder how long they had a discussion about like how much they wanted to give the Klingons a theme. Because they are in this entire episode just another alien in that way. Like not all aliens get their own musical themes and right. 
Right. The Klingons don't really have one yet. I like that punch up. Like I, I thought that the music in this episode was really terrific, but um, that might be one area where they missed a really cool opportunity. I mean, I'm not saying they did or they didn't, but it seems very specific in its decision. Like, if you're ever going to do it, you got to do it right now. And by choosing not to, maybe that means it's never going to happen. Yeah. Maybe they just felt like the juxtaposition of it looking like a Federation ship would be too confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Anyways, the transponder is doing Morse code, basically saying, like, shoot me. Do it. Do it. Come on. (laughs) Kill me. Like it does a Schwarzenegger impression over Morse code. Right. Yeah. It's like somehow puts that. That's what Morse code 2 has is an Austrian accent. The dots are are really ripped and exploded (laughs) on on Morse code 2. So on the fake Starfleet ship, Mbenga and Chapel look around and take stock of their options. Are there EV suits in there? It would seem as like, how good is the recreation here? Right. If they open up these compartments, are there going to be? So they open up a compartment. It's all phasers. (laughs) Everywhere. You can't fucking breathe with a phaser. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's their best idea. And on Enterprise, it seems like Spock has figured this entire plan out. And he lays it out there for the rest of the bridge crew. It's a false flag operation. Like, this ship is portraying itself as a patriot, but it's really Antifa to make patriots look bad. Right. And what side are Mbenga and Chapel on at this point? They're on that side, the ship side. Yeah. And what are Spock's orders going to be? At this point, Spock is an observe-but-don't-fire type of captain. He knows that the order to fire is a death sentence for the ship's medical staff. So, Right. Not only the woman he loves, but the chief medical officer and his bizarre hairline. (laughs) Yes, all three of them are over there. And Spock doesn't (laughs) want to give that up. No. He wants to... I mean, there's a lot of mysteries to solve here. The hairline, not top of the list, but on the list. Yeah. It's like the third or fourth thing down, probably. You fucking watch, man. We're watching the screeners of this episode. They're going to digitally fix Mbenga's hairline. And <laughs> everyone listening to us is going to be like, what the fuck is your problem? I don't know what Greatest Trek is talking about. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. I should probably go. We get some pretty fun, like, in the planet's rings space combat between this false flag ship which is uh, the same class as the Disco, by the way. They say it's a crossfield class ship. It's got the nacelles under instead of on the same right. level as the saucer, but it's got that same like uh, two different sections in the saucer area design. So yeah, the show did that thing where it it released a little little teaser of this ship, and it just looked bad. Like they shouldn't <laughs> have even released the teaser. And the bridge crew's like, "What the fuck is that? What is that ship?" That's weird. It looks shitty. <laughs> Not my Star Trek. It looks like you rendered it on a PlayStation 3. Why? Yeah. Great dynamic ship-to-ship contact scene dodging through these asteroids, though. Really great stuff. Yeah. Spock's still not firing, though. He's still not firing. They're getting pretty close to a situation where this D7 is going to see one or the other Federation ship, which is 
pretty much set up as like this will automatically trigger the war to be back on. Yeah. So, you know, he's holding off, he's holding off Mbenga and Chapel, you know, get get like a helmet and one backpack. I know it's a terrible idea. Yeah, it's terrible. They kind of embrace it in this way where I, it almost looked like they were going to kiss or something. I really like this moment a lot. And it's because they don't kiss, but also it's like that wartime. You know what the scene reminded me of? It reminded me of Vasquez and Gorman. You always were an asshole, Gorman. Both holding their grenade right. at the end of Aliens. Like, resigned to their fate, choosing the hero's way out. Chapel kind of wryly describing the situation with some personality, like the hopelessness of it, I mean. Yeah. I really love this moment for them. It was good. So they go out into space. Really great shot of them, like, flying past a nacelle as they jet away from this unnamed false flag starship. They should have known it was the USS Patak, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's your giveaway. Yeah, just scanning the ship would have revealed so much. But uh, yeah, so he gives the order to fire, destroys the ship. They realize that Benga and Chapel are in space because of the helmet transponder. Yeah. They beam them onto the transporter pad. I loved the effect of seeing like the POV of the transport onto the pad. What happened to the helmet that they were out in space with? Did it fly off of her when they were spinning in zero gravity? I don't know. Because they both appear on the transporter pad without it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's like one of those, like, we deactivated your weapons when we beamed you aboard. We, like, got rid of the helmet. Like, who needed that? Yeah. Yeah. It was only made of phasers anyway. So Spock takes 17 seconds to get to the transporter room off at the bridge. The longest turbo lift ride of my life. And he starts pounding on Chapel's chest because the first shot is of Mbenga. And he's breathing on the transporter pad, but Chapel is unconscious. And he starts doing those compressions that you get in Grey's Anatomy mm. every episode. Yeah. In a don't go into the light kind of way. And she doesn't. Did you understand what he said to her when he was saying, like, he says, you do not die. But like before that, could you make out his words? I thought it was just different versions of that. Oh, okay. The thing that you say when you're trying to bring someone back from death. Well, uh, I thought, yeah, you know, I thought maybe it was like something he knew about the future from Pike. Oh, I didn't pick that up, man. I, I hope I didn't miss something crucial. But yeah, I just thought it was... It was hard to hear him, so I frantic nurse speak. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like making that up or not, but um, it made me think there could be something there. But anyways, Spock's got to watch out. He's got that super Vulcan strength. Mm-hmm. I think he could cave in her chest plate if he's not careful. Yeah, but the Good Samaritan law protects him, right? If he has CPR training and is making a good faith effort to provide life saving resuscitation. He cannot be sued. Friends of DeSoto should not take legal advice from Greatest Trek. Hey, I'm CPR certified as of like two weeks ago, so I actually know what I'm talking about on this. (laughs) All right. So how about Chapel? She lives, and she wipes Spock's tears, 
And then Spock's like, holy shit, I did a great thing, but I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to go back to the bridge because that D7 captain's calling. Yeah. He has a conversation with this D7 captain that is every bit as horny and every bit as flirty as the conversation he had with Commander Pelia earlier in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I loved this. You drink blood wine. I have been known to. I wonder if this guy isn't going to be a recurring character. In the credits, he's Andrew Jackson. And I thought he made a great Klingon captain. He was awesome. Yeah. It was really fun. He invites them to a big party where everybody's drinking blood wine and Spock is demonstrating that he's every bit the two-fisted drinker that La'an is. Mbenga doesn't go though, right? It's like when he's been invited to a blood wine party, he doesn't show up. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. (laughs) He gets to uh, hang out with Carol Kane a little bit and they talk about her species as being a sort of, he says other human, so some kind of human that is nearly, for all intents and purposes, an eternal yeah. Of some kind. How about that? And she is fucking bored. She's like interested in becoming the chief engineer of the entrepreneur because I like it. She has lived a very long life and is sick and tired of being a an educator at the academy. If you're immortal, think of how much worse the punishments for doing what she's done could be, though. Like, later on, (laughs) Spock is threatened with, like, the loss of commission. But if all she wants to do is go out on space adventures and her role in stealing the Enterprise gets her to lose her commission, she's fucked for maybe thousands of years. Like, who knows how long she can live, but that's, like, way worse than being grounded for two weeks. Yeah. In her sense of time. I like this character a lot. I like what a small amount of fucks this character appears to give. I also really enjoy the beginning of her relationship with Spock. And I like Spock in this scene a lot, too. He's really kind of Niles Crane about things (laughs) in a fun way, isn't he? Yeah. Like in that he's game to do the thing, but he kind of does those things not quite right. Right, right. Or he looks silly doing them or whatever, but he doesn't have the self-awareness that would stop him from participating to begin with. He's the Niles Crane with the belly full of blood wine. Yeah. Yeah. Fun scene. He does not get in that much trouble with Admiral April, who basically says, like, your hangover is your punishment. Yeah. This is like a get yourself back to space, Doc, with, with that ship that you stole. Good job playing your hunch and it working out, but don't do it again. Right. Over in Six Space, Spock is visiting Chapel, who's convalescing there, and is hanging tear in a way that we've rarely seen before. Yeah. And uh, Mabenga is nearby hanging hairline (laughs) in emotional solidarity (laughs) just behind. He's, He's back to the first scene in the episode's hairline. So Spock, like, really exposed himself to his own emotions by, you know, letting his rage come out fighting the Gorns, but we still don't know what caused Mbenga's hairline to (laughs) hang the way that the tears are hanging from Spock's lower eyelids. We need to get a conscious medical professional on the case there. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like Mott, you know? Yeah. Just a little off the top. (laughs) 
Anybody. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> the button on the episode is a little conversation between Robert April and that other admiral that we've seen him palling around with a little bit, saying that uh, maybe Spock just forestalled a second front in a war that they anticipate is coming. Yeah. And uh, the camera ominously pushes in on an alert on their screen of the detection of a Gorn attack ship. Yeah. Uh-oh. So if you thought we weren't going to hear from them this season, they haven't gone away. <laughs> they sure haven't. I love that. Welcome to Greatest Trek New Listeners. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for our coverage of Strange New World Season 2, Episode 1. Did you like this episode, Adam? I like that the episode was dedicated to Nichelle Nichols at the end. That was really sweet. And not just a like two-word for Nichelle thing. Like it felt written and significant and powerful. So that was a nice way to end the first episode of the season. I like the episode a lot because I think Strange New Worlds represents some of the best new Star Trek there is. And it was fun to be back in this world but very unexpected to be in this world without Captain Pike. Yeah. I mean, in his absence, we got to know Spock a whole lot better and Mbenga and Chapel as well. Great character development for them. Totally. And I love the unusual choice of taking the lead actor out of the show's first episode in its second season. Like, I love the confidence of that. I, yeah. And this is a show that promises to do unexpected things throughout the second season. So I'm I'm ready for it. And I trust it to do those things, which is like, this is a young show and I'm already saying that. So I'm ready to, to lose some bets here, but it I have no reason not to believe that at this point. What about you? The taking Una and Pike out of episode one of season two isn't like this isn't a totally good analogy but the episode where picard goes and fights his brother in the what's what's that one called is that brothers or is that family we always call it brothers on accident and it is called family so this sort of feels like if we came back from summer break and instead of best of both worlds part two they had family and then Best of Both Worlds Part Two. Like, hey, we'll get to the like huge suspenseful thing we ended the season with last time, like maybe later on in season two. What a chaotic choice that would have been in sequence. <laughs> Star Trek fans would have rioted. Yeah. If that were the sequence of that season. That would have been maybe like one of the most destructive riots in American history. That yeah. But yeah, I thought this was a great episode. I thought um, it felt like really like high spec and well produced. I liked the music cues throughout. I liked the acting throughout, um, and I thought it was a really interesting story. I'd say that I'm like mildly disappointed that there's like going to still be like looming Gorn threat. Like I feel like that's a little bit less interesting than what I had hoped for season two. I'm happy to have the Gorns as a bad guy because I don't think that they've been fully developed as an adversary yet. Yeah, I just don't want them to become like the big bad that's always the heavy. The Borgs of Strange New World. Yeah, yeah. I don't want them to become 
two strange new worlds what the borgs are in star trek picard which is just like come right. on like give us something else you know or put another way like i don't want the gorns and strange new worlds to become the picard's mom right <laughs> of star trek picard <laughs> All that said, yeah, I thought this was a terrific episode. I'm so happy to be back watching Strange New Worlds. What a treat. And uh, Yeah. Welcome back from spring break, friends of DeSoto. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, thanks for everyone who stuck with us through spring break. I, we get a lot of nice messages about those episodes. I think a few of them are over in our Priority One messages. Ben, you want to go see what they have to say? Sure. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Whoa. And it's from Dan, the person who sent the Potatoes and Whisks sculptures. Oh, uh, wait, which ones? <laughs> I know, we, we've received several, but uh, treasures all. Thanks, Dan. Dan's message goes like this. About the Code 47 with the Star Trek Six lamp. For weeks, I was looking forward to hearing a classic Ben Storms Around His Office bit about being late with the potatoes. <laughs> I realized when it didn't happen that you're stuffing 10 pounds of Code 47 into a 5-pound Marin. But I want to hear at least one of you rage about not being first, and I'm willing to drop some scarves to hear it. Sorry I had to pay in handkerchiefs. I promise it's all there, down to the last swatch. Do you get what Dan's on about here? No. <laughs> what did you say about late with the potatoes? The second set of uh, potatoes and whisks the guy had said claimed to have made before we received the first set. And then like right. forgot to send it in. So maybe this is about that? Dan's call to action is I don't have anything to promote, but my sister still has a great podcast. Check out Scandalous Diamonds in your podcast app of choice. Wow. Scandalous Diamonds. I wonder if that's about uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> they hold diamonds in their little uh, tableau that they stand in, in the logo. So Dan taking great umbrage with a Ben Hulk out that doesn't happen. I yeah. don't know. You, know. you know what I have to say about this, Adam? You know, Like, we've read the whole message. We're confused about it. You know what I have to say? God damn it! I don't understand what the fuck this guy wants me to complain about. It seems very clear that he was trying to set something up, but his message is fucking inscrutable to me. What does it mean? What does it even mean? Ben. Ben. Adam, her next priority one message is from Brian and it's to Bob, and it goes like this. Bob, you sandbagging son of a bitch. Why won't you watch Lower Decks despite all of my negging? Remember the last time I made a Star Trek-related recommendation to you and you ended up in Ferndale, Michigan, learning about brandoing from Ben and Adam? Okay, I think I maybe see the problem here. Fellas, hit that Chief O'Brien drop, please and thank you. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. I really know the feeling that Brian's having here. I have encouraged everyone in my life to watch Lower Decks. And interestingly enough, like, friend of DeSoto, Chris Caraba, loves Lower Decks. Yeah. We talk about this all the time, but his brother, also a friend of DeSoto, has not seen it, doesn't seem very interested in seeing it. 
And we're like, what the fuck? You're both a Star Trek fan and a friend of DeSoto and you don't want to watch Lower Decks? I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around that. <laughs> yeah. That's staggering. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to send us a Priority One message, if you want us to do something, you can just tell us specifically what you want us to do and we'll try and honor your request. I mean, like, you know, within reason. If you want to dance around it, we might misunderstand what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> My success rate on the statement, if you want me to do something, just tell me what to do, is like near zero. Yeah. <laughs> just generally. <laughs> Around my household, brother. Yeah, it seems like the Friends of DeSoto want us to like anticipate their needs a little bit more. And we're like, we're, is this helping? Yeah. Is this good? Do you know who you're asking? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, maximumfun.org slash jumbotron if you want to be satisfied the Ben and Adam way. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Carol Kane for the just like, fuck everything. I'm going to do what I want energy she has all the way through this episode. Being super long lived and like being kind of like, I want to write my own ticket and do whatever I, I please is its own like unimaginably specific kind of confidence that I just loved. And I think Carol Kane is such a great choice to play this part. When we watched her Tales from the Crypt episode over spring break, we were talking about her being a comedic performer primarily. Like that's kind of what her bread and butter has been over the course of her career. And this character is so fun and funny in a way that like I think will add tremendously to this show and I'm I'm really excited to to see what else they do with it. Yeah, I mean, so often the immortal in Star Trek are portrayed as, you know, Q-like or something. Like they don't often have a problem with boredom, really. I could not think of the word immortal earlier. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Adam, you've been you've had like such wonderful forbearance with me over the last several weeks. I've been super tired and like missing dates and like you know, calculating time zones wrong and I I see, I see it wash over your face how annoyed you are with me and you never say anything. I'm so fucked I right would now never. that I can't think of the word immortal. <laughs> <laughs> With a face like mine, I don't need to say anything. <laughs> All I'm saying is uh, I appreciate your 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 patience with me and uh, your great partner, and I, I don't deserve how patient you've been, honestly. All I'm saying is that uh, I have learned that I couldn't and wouldn't do this without you. <laughs> ben, my Larkin, I'm going to give to Captain Dechak. At least I'm pretty sure that's his name. He's the captain of the D7. He seems to be someone with some status over there in the Empire. Yeah. At least status enough to do a little freelancing. Like, I got to believe if this was a middle manager type, he would not just go have blood wine with Spock. Mm -hmm. But he seems into doing things a little differently. And that's why I kind of hope he sticks around as a character this season. Yeah. He did some unexpected things. And to me, that's what makes you and Edward Larkin. I really liked uh, his costuming also. Like, it's, it feels like transitional in a way, a fun way from 
the Klingons of Discovery to the Klingons of TNG. He's also got that vanity of early Star Trek Klingons too, like the superiority complex of like, all our shit is great. We're the toughest and the strongest. (laughs) Like he always manages to squeeze in a line like that into his dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like he's got like an extra vanity organ. Yeah. (laughs) Ben, at the very end of the show, we read a warning bois for our listenership. Of course, uh, these are the messages we love the most because they, on the one hand, invite new viewers into the fold. True. While on the other hand, keep the ones who may not get what our deal is (laughs) at a distance. Yeah. We know this isn't for everyone. Yeah. We don't want everybody. Hence, the warning bois. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, a message came into us from Twitter from Chris Pierno, and it was a visual warning bois, maybe the most affecting kind. Mm, yeah, picture paints a thousand words. Paints a thousand words? What about? <laughs> Chris has shared a picture of a room in their house, and uh, someone off screen is is holding a baby, a baby with very fun pajamas, and this baby is reaching toward a poster of you and me. <laughs> it's a tour poster from Greatest Gen Con 2, Star Trek 3. It's signed. It's just below another signed poster by us. Man. Nearby is a bookshelf full of Star Trek statues and stuff. This kid's going to grow up a, a Star Trek fan, and more than that, is going to be brought up to be an FOD. Yeah. Littlest friend of DeSoto. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris Pierno, for sharing that. Slightly troubling to see. Children should not listen to this show. <laughs> yeah. The baby appears to be pointing at the photon torpedo part of mm. the poster. Yeah. And not the uh, cool caricatures of you and me. That poster looks great in a frame, man. It does. Looks good. I need to get a framed version of that poster for my office. Hotshop.biz. Wow. Well, uh, if you'd like to leave a warning, Bois, just uh, go on social media and talk about the show in a way that is like uh, the vibe of the show. And uh, hopefully Bill Tilly will find it and uh, save it in our little Slack channel where we collect these things. And you'll hear your words coming out of our mouths on the show. Love to see it. Thanks for sending them in. Well, that's the end of this episode, Adam, but uh, Wendy Pretty is going to read some credits now, and she is going to tell the folks a little bit about what we've got coming up on next week's episode. So stick around for that and for the rest of our coverage of Strange New World Season 2. Can't wait to have you back next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week is Season 2, Episode 2 of Strange New Worlds. It's called At Astra Per Aspera. If you want to hear the network's logline for that, you'll find it at the end of Monday's Greatest Generation. Ben and Adam's review will be available in this feed on Friday. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for composing all of the original music for this show. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that we highly recommend. You can find those by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thank you to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. 
This is an audience-supported podcast, so we're really grateful to the members who are helping to keep the show going at MaximumFun.org slash join. We also appreciate your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and when you tell someone you know about the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Wendy, can you not put this at the end of the fucking episode? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.